beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. And beautiful playing too, Lois. Let's praise God for that too. Good morning, First B. It is a joy to be here with you. If we haven't met, my name is Todd and um, Todd Erickson, and I serve with the Ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship. And about five, maybe six times a year, I get to stand at this nice little round table and uh, dig into the Word with you from up here. this is an exciting season coming up. We're going to talk about graduation in just a moment. Uh, we are heading into a season of ministry for uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship, our ministry program season, of a very, very busy season for our Summer Christian Youth in Action program, which starts in a couple weeks. And we are very excited to have... 50 years, close to somewhere between 50 and 60 students from across the state who are going to be coming together at our training camp just east of town here, about 25 minutes, and uh, being trained to take the gospel right to the kids. And so I really appreciate your prayer for our, our staff as we prepare for the teenage invasion at Christian Youth in Action this, uh, this summer. And for the teens that are coming, that their hearts will be open and ready for what God has for them, and they'd be able to minister out of the overflow of their hearts as they take the gospel uh, to the children with God's love. So please pray for us. Um, I will give more updates uh, another time, probably put a little write-up in, in the first word sometime soon. I'd love to be able to do that. But thank you so much for partnering with us and praying uh, for us uh, as we head into this exciting season. Okay, graduates, uh, this, is, this is a two-part series. I'll be back here next Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, if the creek don't rise and the sermon don't stink, no. Um, it, we will, uh, we're going to be looking at the same passage for two straight weeks, but breaking, uh, cutting it pretty much in half. And, and uh, we're going to focus somewhat on graduates, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but it's for all of us. It is absolutely for all of us, because, you know, graduation is something we either are experiencing, we either uh, are eagerly anticipating, or we are struggling to remember. Uh, so all of us have, have uh, some kind of connection to this. And it's interesting we think of graduation as a time of celebration, a time of introspection, and a time for a whole lot of entertaining cards. I've spent way too much money over the years on cards that say most things I wouldn't really say in person. Do you do that too? You ever give a card, you're like, this is kind of a little flowery or something or strange. I don't know if I'd say this, but hey, here you go. It's Walmart. It's cheap. I'm buying it. Here you go. Okay. Um, Let me give a few examples here. Reach for the stars, but keep your feet on the ground. Sounds like something Casey Kasem used to say on the radio, right? And if you don't know who Casey Kasem is, you're probably graduating this weekend. Okay, Uh, here's another one. Your future starts right here, right now. I've seen so many cards that say that. And and it, it seems so strange to me. Because isn't right here and right now what we call the present? Oh, the places you'll go. You'll have brains. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. What? Which is what I usually say when I read a Dr. Seuss book, anyway, because that is the Dr. Seuss card. But uh, but but think about this. When we send these cards or give these cards at graduation, 
Is that really what we want to say? What if, what if we just took it upon ourselves to say, from this day forward, I'm not giving anything except cards that are more realistic. Cards that say what I'm really thinking or are at least so funny that I cannot resist giving them. What if cards said something like this for graduation? Congrats, you are now officially unemployed. <laughs> or how about quitters never win and winners never quit, but if you never win and you never quit, then you might actually be caught in a rut. Or how about this, if at first you don't succeed, well then perhaps success just isn't your thing. Don't worry, you'll get used to it. And finally, oh the places you'll go, well actually you won't because gas is getting more expensive this summer and you likely can't get time off from where you work to go anywhere anyway. So with that said, if you are graduating, and you sent a graduation announcement to the Erickson family at 9225666 Avenue Northwest, Bullbills, North Dakota, 58721. And Kim doesn't beat me to the punch. You might get a card full of reality this month. I'm sorry. No, I'm really not sorry. All kidding aside, what would a card from God say at graduation? If God showed up at your graduation open house this month with a sweet tooth and a card, what would that card say? Now, if you were in the 95% of us who are either struggling to remember our graduation or waiting with unbelievably eager anticipation for the day that that tassel will actually make your nose itch, uh, then let's consider this a greeting card from God, not a graduation card from God. But what would it say? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be spending this week and next. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23, all the way to the end in the very first verse in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you. And for conscience sake, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something for which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this 
10,000 mile deep rock upon which we can stand. The truth of your word. Lord, you tell us that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will stand forever. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you will take this powerful truth and penetrate our hearts. So whether or not we're graduating today or this weekend or next weekend or, or whenever, that we will truly see what your card to us really says and understand what it means. Lord, may all distractions that we come to this place with, may all fear or anxiety or struggles or heartache, worries, may they just crumble as we fix our eyes on you. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for giving us your son as our Savior. Thank you for giving us your spirit to seal us for the day of redemption, but to penetrate our hearts and to reveal to us who you are and who you are calling us to be in you. Lord, please do a mighty work now. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. God's card for us is pretty simple. One word. Called. Called. First of all, called to freedom. Now, when we start this passage out, you, you, you kind of, we have to kind of laugh at the fact that this was written to the church in Corinth, and it says everything is permissible. But then if you understand anything about the Corinthian church and, the, and the, what they were dealing with, there was a lot of turmoil within the church, but it was a city that would make Las Vegas blush. It, it, it was the ultimate sin city. And for him to start out, Apostle Paul, to start this out saying everything is permissible, I'm sure there were people in that, who first when we were reading this letter from him, we were like, what? He, what did he just say? Yes, everything is permissible. Oh, but wait. But not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. God is calling us to freedom. And his freedom starts for us, first of all, when we answer the call to know him, to love him, to worship him, and to be free from the punishment of sin, all through the gift of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. This is a call. This is a knock. This is God beckoning us to freedom in Christ, freedom from the bondage of sin, but even greater than that is to freedom to be called his children, all because he gave his son the perfect sacrifice. He demonstrates his own love for us, us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of the death on the cross, he showed us he had power over sin. Because of him rising again three days later, he showed us he has power over death. And because of that, he calls us to this freedom in him. Now, friends, if, if you are hearing this and it's just finally making sense for the first time, I give you full permission to tune me out for the next 20 plus minutes. 
and focus on this verse in Revelation 3.20 and to focus on Romans 5.8 and really search your heart and say, have I answered that call to freedom in Christ? To become a child of God. If you haven't, let's talk later. Do not let this moment pass by. But if you have answered that call and you understand this, then let's talk about God's definition of freedom. Freedom is something that we all want, right? But oftentimes we want it in selfishness. What is the world's definition of freedom? Be the only one in charge of you. Be your own boss. Answer only to you. Do what you want, the way you want it, on your schedule. And oh, there is a wave of freedom that hits once high school is done, once college is done. Oh, you kind of feel like you stuck it to the man and you're on your own and you're good to go. For me, that wave that happened after high school was a wave for which I was not ready. I regret that. I embraced my freedom with my own definition of, oh, I can do what I want now. And I felt effects from it. I learned hard lessons from it. Why? Because there's a problem with the world's definition of freedom. It is a very slippery slope. It leads us right down the path of self-worship and self-satisfaction. It is based upon pleasing ourselves or making our lives easier at all costs. We see that in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of religion but denying its power. This is the result of moving away from a true form of godliness. But God has a better plan for us than that. He has His definition of freedom. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 give us God's definition of freedom so clearly. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, growing up in church, hearing the story of the Good Samaritan, even as I was a a teen, and I've done this even after the teenage years, of teaching the story of the Good Samaritan, what I was learning and what I taught for many years, I believe, was wrong. Because we think of the priest and the Levite that see this man that looks dead. And, and, and they, they walk on the other side of the road to avoid him. Well, that's the truth. That did happen, according to the parable that Jesus taught. But what was their motivation? 
Was it, was, was it because they were, were so much better than that man who was on the side of the road? Is that why they did not go near him? Well, perhaps we don't know for sure. What I learned growing up was don't be like them. Don't be too good to go help somebody out. Well, there is a little bit of truth to that. But there's something deeper if we understand the context for the priests and the Levites. For them to go near a dead body, which it probably appeared this man was dead, for them to go near the dead body and to touch that dead body, what would they be rendered? Unclean. And for the priest and the Levite, they would be bound. They would not be able to do their, their, their service. Legalism kept them from going across the road and reaching down and helping this man. What, what Paul is saying to us here is we are called to freedom. The Samaritan comes along, not bound by that same law, and is able to reach down and pick this man up and care for him. This is what God has given us in Christ. He has given us freedom by His definition, not by our own. His definition of freedom is what we see. You were called to freedom, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, this is not about selfishness. This is not about being your own boss. This is not about being able to do what you want to do and not having to answer to anybody. No! This freedom that you are called to is a beautiful thing. Because freedom in Christ means that you are free to show love. You are free to minister. You are free to reflect Christ. Now, does this mean that we can't rejoice in freedom or even, even fight to protect the freedoms that we enjoy like in, in this country? Absolutely not. But let me tell you this. How we approach the authority figures makes a big difference. How do we approach our authority figures that want to take away our freedoms in life? Well, that seems to be the question of the decade because it seems like every time you turn on the TV, you find somebody else screaming for this kind of control or that kind of control, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty tense topic. Yes, we have this freedom in Christ that we're supposed to embrace. We're supposed to answer that call. But when we think of freedom, we can't help but think, what about the freedoms that seem to be slipping away from us all the time? Hmm. What do we do with that? Romans 13 spills it out for us on how we're supposed to respond to authority in our lives. Verses 1 through 7, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do good, and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant to you for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. The government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. 
Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. And honors to those you owe honor. If we think that freedom means not having authority figures in our lives, we're dead wrong. We are dead wrong. When I work with young leaders, I make it a point to challenge them with the truth that how they follow people in authority will have an impact on how they lead others in the future and even today. God is the God of authority and order, so we cannot get lost in our selfishness when it comes to understanding freedom. So how do we do this? He's called us to freedom, but we're also called to submit to authority. Boy, you think about the founding fathers of this country. What a wrestling match they had. For them to say, we need to, we need to fight for our freedom, but we have to need to respect authority at the same time. How do we do this? There was so much prayer that went into the founding of this country. There had to be, because this was a huge battle. And I honestly believe that any time we are faced with this struggle, whether fighting for our freedom is the right thing to do, whether holding on to certain freedoms is something we should try to do, we have to put it to a prayerful test in seeking whether or not the freedom we desire is for selfish ambition or if it is for the glory of God. That's the test. We pray about it and say, Lord, is this for your glory or is this just for me? I tell you what. If we could talk to the founding fathers who prayed and agonized over that battle, they would probably tell us this. We did not come to the conclusion that God wanted us to fight for your freedom so that you could show up in church and be a consumer. We did not fight for religious freedom so that you could have it easy and be comfortable. Why? Because we're all called to freedom, not for our own selfish gain, but for His glory. Speaking of His glory, we've only got one verse into this entire passage, so we better keep going. Okay. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. God is not only calling us to freedom, to embrace His freedom. He is also calling us to unity. Unity as believers. Sticking with the church. Oh my goodness. If, if you ever read any statistics on the number of people when they leave, when they come out of high school, what percentage walk away from the church? It's, it's gut-wrenching. We should, be, we should be weeping over the fact that that number is well over 60%. Well over 60% are walking away from the church. And I'm here to tell you something. It makes sense. Not that it's excusable, but we can explain this. Young people walk away from the church if they fall into the trap of thinking that the church exists for them. 
The truth is the church exists not for them. The church does not exist for itself or individuals. The church exists to bring glory to God by being a demonstration of his kingdom to the heavenly realms. And the church is designed to be a body of believers made up of different parts that work together for his glory. Part of the problem we're facing with this mass exodus of young people is that we have not given them as many opportunities to serve so that they can find their place in the body of Christ. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a, a, a short a team come back from a short-term missions trip with, with a bored look on their face? Now, we've all been a part of, of some kind of service, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or, or a, some kind of meal or whatever, where there's a team there talking about what, what happened on their short-term missions trip. Every one of them looks like a new dad who's, who's telling people about their firstborn, okay? That's what they look like. They're excited. There's passion there. Why? Because they have found their purpose. They are no longer making their role in the church about themselves. Young people, please hear me on this. If you don't hear anything else today, because this, this kills me. I've seen this in my teens over the last 15 years. I've seen so many young people come through Christians in action and serve, and perhaps not with the right heart. And they're sharing the gospel with kids. Ten years later, they're blatant atheists who rejected Christ. Why? Why? If you're going on from this place, please, Know that you're called to be a part of the body of Christ. You are not called to be entertained in church or youth group. Prayerfully, please, just prayerfully seek out God's direction for where and how you are to be plugged into the church. By His grace and for His glory, please. And if you're leaving this church for work, school, whatever, you're going on to another place, please get connected to a local church that shares the same heartbeat as this place. God will use you mightily to unify his church. I truly do believe that unity for the church is a fruit of the Spirit. You see a unified church, that's because the Spirit of God is at work. That's a demonstration of his Spirit. The fact that we can have a business meeting and not get into a shouting match is proof that the Spirit of God is at work. Not that first B has it all figured out, but we need to constantly and prayerfully remember it is God's design for us to work together synergistically. Two people coming together on the same task will not mean double the output. It grows exponentially. This will only work, though, through humility. Humility, placing others ahead of ourselves. What does that do for us? That prevents self-worship. Humility is not, is not a case of, of laying down and, and allowing others to run over us. Humility is, is not thinking less of ourselves. It is thinking of ourselves less. 
And the key to placing others ahead of ourselves is, is, is found in how we place God ahead of ourselves. The great commandment sets up the right pattern for us to understand and to practice humility. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. It shows us that first and foremost, we need to love the Lord your God with all our heart, with our entire being. Secondly, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. This shows that we can't effectively love others if we are not loving them out of an overflow of our love for the Lord. We cannot think that loving others will get us closer to God. Instead, we need to know that growing closer to God will naturally lead to us loving others. As we grow more in love with Him, we will grow more in humility and this love for others. And if we get this figured out and grow in it every day, everything else we are called to do will come together. The card says called. Whether or not God signs his name on it, we don't know. We just know what it says. Friends, we all are called. It starts with a call to freedom. And a call to unity. All for his glory, not our own. That's the key right there. All for His glory, not our own. As we walk this journey called life, friends, let us fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith and celebrate the fact that we can know Him and we can answer His calling in our lives. God bless you, graduates. Do not let this moment where you're at in church and in life be the high point of your walk with God. Let it be the springboard, the launch pad to take you to new places, to live out that call to freedom, to live out that call to unity and find where God is to have you to serve. And for each one of us, may we continue to do that as well. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. We thank you so much for your calling in our lives. Lord, please, please, do a mighty work in our hearts that we may fully understand what freedom looks like, what it really means that, that this freedom is about your glory, not our own selfish ambition or vain conceit. And Lord, may we look first and foremost to you, growing more and more in love with you and, and out of that overflow, showing your love to each other in a beautiful, beautiful display of unity through humility. Thank you, Lord, for your love and strength and for your calling. In Jesus' precious only name I pray, amen.